Good morning. If you are new with us uh, or relatively new, we'd love to get to know you um, via a little welcome card that's uh, in the seat back in front of you. So we'd love to just have you fill out your name and, um, and get to know you that way. Um, this morning we sang a song that we love to shout the name of Yahweh. And uh, we talked about a song, and we sang a song, I will not be silent. Uh, we'll make a joyful noise. Let me just exhort us, church. Um, we have lots of room to grow in this area. Um, you ought to shout the name of Yahweh when it says shout the name of Yahweh. We ought to cause a ruckus in here when we're worshiping God at the appropriate time. Thank you, Wendy, for that response. Um, She's running a seminar later on in the month. Uh, but when it says shout, shout the name of Yahweh, uh, we just, again, you can read when the people of God get together. If anyone has a reason to celebrate, it's the people who are uh, in the kingdom of light. And, and we're going to look at that this morning. We have all kinds of reason to celebrate. And sometimes, um, sometimes our reservation is, uh, is God-focused, where we're just really deep in worship and uh, sometimes I feel things, and, and I don't look outwardly expressing, you know, like, like I'm that into it, but I'm just weighty with it. Uh, and other times, that reservation is man-focused. It's, it's you-focused. Like, what will people think if I, were to, if I were to just express how I really feel right now? So just a little exhortation to you uh, on that note. Um, if you're like most people uh, this morning uh, in here, you are probably somewhat resistant to change. Uh, examples abound in this, but... Um, Just think about major change that goes on usually in moving or in family situations or finances or job or whatever, restructuring. Usually that causes fear in people. It causes some anxiety in people. Uh, One of the things that we have coming up in the fall, we're rolling out, is two services. You wouldn't tell by today's uh, uh, look of the service, but we have been bumping up against seating issues and, um, and being fairly maxed out here for several months now. And we are, uh, by God's grace, moving into to two services this fall. Part of how we're going to be doing that is on June 3rd, which is coming up very, very quickly. It's going to be one of two kind of trial services that we're going to do this summer um, to kind of help us, you know, prime the pump for that and kind of, and kind of work out some of the kinks uh, in that. Now, probably those in our society most used to change um, are babies, and they usually cry most of the time when they are being changed. Uh, I need that first slide up right now, Carl. That would be far better than if it was a black screen because it would really communicate what's being talked about with babies being changed. There it is. So uh, with that being said, um, you know, we have, uh, this is close to our heart, is changing babies and uh, seeing them cry. I know that as we move forward with two services, there's going to be some anxiety and some things. Here, here are just a couple of instructions for us as church family. One is to do this, um, just to anticipate great opportunities in the coming months and years to think about how would God expand our ministry here at the church to, to, to be a greater impact, a greater blessing to this community. Um, so that's, that's where we're headed and why we're doing this. That's the, the, the motive in it. Here's some ways for you to, um, to be involved. One is to pray. You can pray for staff, for leaders, for people who are right now behind the scenes working um, to get things in place systems in place that need to change and grow and bolster so we can handle an increase. 
Uh, you can pray for the spiritual battles that are involved with any kind of move like this. Anytime the kingdom of light is advancing, we just need prayer coverage with the spiritual battles that are going to go on with that, that we'd walk together and move forward in unity. Um, you can pray for our motive. We just constantly long to say, God, we don't want this to be about our name brand. Neighborhood Bible Church is going to wash away and flush away and not be anything. But the name of Jesus Christ is eternal. Amen? That's what we're lifting up. That's what we care about. So, God, that's why we would want to expand. That's why we'd want to stretch ourselves and grow in that way. And then prayer also just says clearly we're depending on the Spirit for this. Secondly, you can commit. Um, this will be, two services will be an opportunity for you to commit to this ministry at a deeper level. Some of you are going to be called upon um, to attend worship service one hour and serve in another hour, whether that be in youth ministry or in children's ministry or as part of a prayer team that's just praying over, over what's going on in this building during Sunday mornings. Um, there's setup things that go on. There's nursery and children to care for, facilities, welcome, follow-up. The list goes on and on. There's a lot of things that go on on a Sunday morning. Thirdly is to invite. Uh, it was so exciting. I was talking with a friend of mine this week or last week, and he said something to this effect. You know, for the first time in my Christian walk, I'm inviting people to church on Sunday because I'm excited about what Jesus is doing in this place. And I thought, man, that's powerful. We invite, we talk about that which we're excited about. And when we see the power of God at work in our life and in the lives of our brothers and sisters, we, we want other people to be involved in that. So be inviting, be actively inviting people to church. Um, one more is this, just to receive. Once people do come, uh, to be intensely interested in them. You know what that's going to require? See the first point, pray. Because it's going to require a dependence on the Holy Spirit to get outside of yourself and what you want in a church and what you need this morning to say, God, would you give me eyes and ears and hearts and hands to walk across the room to that person just to simply introduce myself and just to begin to care about them and receive them in uh, into a loving family. And that's what we have as Christians. They'll, they'll know we're Christians by our love. And that's what we have as Christians is, is the, the way that we, we treat one another in, in that regard. Uh, this will involve some things, discomfort, growth, imagination, expectation, and an ongoing grace to continue the work that God has begun here. So just a little primer. June 3rd is coming up awfully quick. You have people you know that, uh, that you'd love to see come to Jesus and come be a part of a ministry. Some of you know Christians who've been wandering without a family for a long time. God sets the lonely in families. We're not a perfect family, right? Of course not. We're all here. So bring them into a family, invite them in, rope them in, and be the gentle voice that would continue that. All right. I'd like to invite you to open up to James chapter 1, which is where we're going to be uh, in our text this morning. And just to set things up, this is a huge contrast from last week. If you missed it, uh, we spoke on Mother's Day about the morbid scene of death and darkness and the resulting uh, sin and evil that comes from that, all fathered by Satan. Now, this was all in the text, uh, but, but this is the, the life cycle, if you will, of sin. That it's, that it's born from our desire, that it's conceived, that when it's full grown, it produces death. And we can see that in our own life. We can see that in our own culture. Now, we get to change scenes to a bright scene of new life and blessing emanating from the Father of Lights. This is a good week. I would love to have just preached both of those on one week to kind of get to the good part. Um, but especially seeing the negative of last week, it's good to be here this week. 
Uh, linking these two verses, look at verse 16. It says this, James 1.16. Do not be deceived. I brought this out last week, but it's quite possible to be deceived about our sin and to place blame in all kinds of different places so long as it's not with me and my choices and what I've done and my nature, right? It's also possible to be deceived. Not only is it possible, but probable and often where people are deceived about the goodness and blessing of life. This can take a real self-righteous way where it says, I am where I am because I've worked for it. I've worked hard. I came from nothing, and I worked hard. Don't we applaud that American success story? And yet, uh, this can also take, it can take many forms. But bottom line is, we can be deceived both on blame, we can be deceived on who gets the credit for the good things. Here's the great thing about deception. James has told us through the Holy Spirit earlier in the chapter, don't be double-minded in things. Be sure about things. When you look about being deceived, here's the great thing. We're going to open the scriptures today and get to see God's light, the light of truth come in, come in, and light always wins out over darkness. So God's word is going to bring some clarity this morning to the good things in life, to the blessings of life, and where they come from and where they find their source, so we don't have to be deceived. If I were to sum up verses 14 and 15 from last week, it would be a negative statement of this. God has absolutely no responsibility for sin in general, and for your sin in particular. If I were to sum up verses 17 and 18 that we're going to look at today, here's what it would be. God has complete responsibility for every good and perfect gift in your life. So God has no responsibility for your sin. He has complete responsibility for all that is good. Now, here's what some of you are thinking. I already know. Some of you are sitting there in your chair and you're thinking this. I doubt that. I doubt that to be true. Our first parents were in the garden, and just as blame in the garden that we looked at last week started early, doubt in the garden starts very, very early. If you can just imagine the Garden of Eden, some of us were in a workday yesterday, and we were in the opposite of Garden of Eden. We were in, you know, weeds up to here, and we're hacking our way through with machetes. Not quite. That sounds more adventurous. Um, It's lawnmowers and weed whackers. But... We were, we were in non-idyllic settings uh, of people's backyards that have been overgrown by weeds. You think about the Garden of Eden, and here is a place where God's unlimited abundance and favor is being poured out. There's utter harmony and unity, not only between man and woman, but between man, woman, and God. All the good things of life, all the blessings of life, in abundance, overflowing abundance, there they are. And what do we find in the garden? We find blame. We talked about that last week. It's this woman you gave me, Lord. Well, it's the serpent that deceived me. But we also see a second thing. Uh, not just blame, but, but doubt. Satan masquerading as the serpent comes and plants a seed in the garden, and it's this seed of doubt. Did God actually say? You know what that's doing? That's doubting the goodness of God, isn't it? Did God actually say? I'll read it from Genesis 3.1. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat any tree in the garden. Now, we're not going to take time to do this, but that's actually twisting what God did say, right? It's actually minimizing the goodness of what he did provide and twisting it. And from that point on, we've been hearing that same voice, and we've been, we've been fighting messages like that. I'm taking a little excursion into doubt before we get on to the great news of the blessings and gifts of God, 
because of this. Doubting robs us of God's good gifts. Doubting the goodness of God actually robs us of the gift. Think about the protection, the provision, the paradise that was all there with Adam and Eve, and it was corrupted by doubt. They, in essence, lost the gift because of the doubt and because of the sin of doubt coming in there. I think it's possible for us to miss the good things of God, to be robbed of the good gifts of God when we doubt. We doubt the goodness of God every single time you and I covet. What's that person got over there? What, uh, what technology is required now for a Silicon Valley person? I mean, just roughly. Got to have a smartphone. What else? Huh? Come on, call it out. Yeah, an iPad 3, that's right. The first to have it, right? Yeah, you gotta have, you got to have a music player of some sort. You probably have a key of your car that has a, a chip in it that only, you know, it only starts if you're there. I mean, there's all kinds of technology that's required right now that even a few years ago wasn't, wasn't really required. And here's, here's the thing with that. There's a constant lust for more with that, right? Eyes that never see enough and say, well, now, now I'm done. There's a constant lust for more with that. Now, these aren't necessarily bad things. I'm not picking on that. I'm just saying that that's, that's the truth of it. We doubt the goodness of God every time we covet and lust for more. Lusting for more is just discontentment. It's just constantly thinking that, that what's really going to fulfill me is around the next corner, and that's what I need, and if I could only have that. Great line from a band called Reliant K says this, he had the world, but he thought that he wanted more. Now, he's talking about the fact that he's benefiting from the guy's ex-girlfriend, meaning he's his girlfriend now, and the other guy had a great gal that he was dating, and he's no longer got it. But I, I, that line's been lingering with me. He had the world, but he thought that he wanted more. And I thought, wow, what an insidious trap of Satan to come along and just plant doubt and just, and just miss the goodness and the good things of God because of that. Look at James 1.17. Let me read it. You just follow along. Every good and perfect, or every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. First thing I want to just talk about is just the overflowing gifts. Now, we've been having a, a little bit of cowboy talk here. This is news to me because I wasn't raised as a cowboy but cowboys have a simple, earthy way of saying things. This one's really, really simple. You're going to say it with me on the count of three, okay? One, two, three. Yeehaw! Yeah, you've got to just slow that down and just yeehaw, let it draw. That's our cowboyism uh, uh, this week, right? It's just excited about good things. It's being pumped up. That's why in our worship, we ought to shout the name of Yahweh. We ought, to be, we ought to be fired up. We ought to learn what it means. How do we worship God with our whole being? I'll tell you what we do pretty good with. Arms, elbows, hands a little bit, mouth, eyes, hands a little bit raised. But Lord, grow in us, man, just a passion to worship with our whole being. I was at an earthquakes game last night with a few of my cronies here, and uh, we got to see people worshiping. We saw the Rob Collins of a whole section of soccer fans. He was up there with a bullhorn leading the worship. And they were just marching along to the whole thing. I promise you they went to bed more sore than I did. Because I'm, I'm not a massive world soccer fan, so I sat in my chair most of the time and cheered a little bit. And I kind of thought about, wow, different kinds of worship, different styles of worship. Lord, would you grow in us uh, more of, a, of an all-body worship experience? Now, when we think about gifts, 
When we think about things that we're excited about, I want to talk to the parents here for a second. And kids, you may be parents one day, should God bless you in that way, so you can kind of listen in. But one of the things parents love to do is give gifts to their kids. They just love it. And what's interesting about giving, I don't know when the last time you planned and researched, and especially if it was a surprise and you were keeping it from your kid, and you're just like, you're, you're like every nuanced detail, if you're super hyper about things, you had a spreadsheet with times and who was responsible for what. I know some of you, you had that. And then, and then the surprise was unveiled and the kid got to see what the gift was and you couldn't wait to see the look on their face. Now here's what's interesting about that. Parents are giving gifts to kids. Now, kids, we love you. We love kids at NBC. But it defies logic a little bit. If you're just looking purely logically and saying to give good gifts to these kids, and when you were to measure, like, how much output of production do they actually do around the house? I hope you're growing and learning how to do the dishes. I hope you're growing and learning how to care for younger siblings. I hope you're growing and learning what a lawnmower is and how to cut the grass and how to sweat and pull weeds and be bored with that. I hope you're learning some of those things because those are really good things. It's called a job, and you get to do it later on in life, okay? But the reality is, is that for what you're, for what you're giving in that regard, a gift isn't, we're not trying to pay you back as parents, right? There's not a logic like, like a one-to-one, well, you did a good job with that. We're going to give you a gift. That's payment. Parents love to come along and just bless their kids with gifts. Isn't that true, parents? I need to see some nods on this. Yes, we love to do that. We love to shower good gifts. Now, Jesus comes along and says this, if you who are evil, a little offensive, but we we, we understand that. We know we're evil. His point was this, if you who are evil parents who love to give good gifts know how to give, give good gifts to your kids, he says this, how much more your Father in heaven to those who ask of him. If we know what it is to just shower gifts on our kids and to thrill at that and love to give good gifts to kids, how much more God giving good gifts to his kids? Let me just point your attention to James for a second. We're going to cover less than a chapter of the Bible, and let me just point out some of the good gifts that we've already observed in the book of James. One is wisdom, and he says clearly that he gives generously. The other one is pure joy. The other one is trials and pain. And if you missed that sermon, you might wonder how that's a gift. Trials and pain are actually a gift. Because we listen to them, we learn from them, we find out what's wrong, and we adjust our gait so that we don't wear a hole in our foot, right? What's a person with leprosy? What's their problem? They don't feel pain. So your hand is resting on a burner. You don't feel that until your flesh is destroyed and now you're broken beyond repair. Pain's a massive gift in our life that says, whoa, change right now. That hurts. Change now before the hurt gets worse later on. Wisdom, pure joy, trials and pain, perseverance, the crown of life. Do you see how in just uh, 15 short verses of Scripture, we have some amazing gifts of God to be thankful for? What What if it was sitting under the Christmas tree on Christmas morning, and what was under there was wisdom that you need to get through this year. What would that be worth to you? How would you celebrate if you opened that up and you could tangibly hold that? What about in the midst of all this trial and pain and heartache that you know you have to endure in the next few months, apart from a miracle of God? What if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was going to allow pure joy in the midst of that? 
that God's grace would be so much sweeter because of this road that he's allowing you to walk on. What would that be worth to you if you could open that gift on Christmas morning? That's just the first few verses of James. Now, you might be wondering uh, how to count your blessings. I think there's a learning curve in how to count your blessings. Some of you have been instructed very, very well. Pain and trials, by the way, sickness teaches us how to count our blessings, doesn't it? Going to funerals more so than going to weddings and parties teaches me to count my blessings. I love going to parties and weddings, but I come away learning about my blessings more from a funeral. Let me give you two very quick, very practical hows on how to count your blessings, to stop and and take stock of things. One is this. Every single meal, stop and recount God's great gifts to you. Not just the food. I hope that you stop and pray before your meals. Not because it's kind of a good ritualistic Christian thing to do or it's become some rote thing that you do. But that is a forced time when your stomach rumbles, you stop and you just think of God. Man, thank you, God, that right now I get to fill my stomach. I want to pray for those who don't get to fill their stomach. Don't just think about food, though. Don't just think about physical food. What about the spiritual food that you've been blessed with in your quiet time this morning and how God's using the word as a living and active part of your life to change you and grow you and prepare you and sustain you? Man, thank you, God, for that. You take stock of different things. So you just, you just stop and pray at every single meal. Here's another thing. Every single night, when you can't sleep, you're counting sheep, stop counting sheep. Start counting your blessings, right? Just lay in your bed at night when you cannot sleep, and you just begin to take stock of the good and perfect gifts that God's given you in your life. It'll change you. We're told to pray without ceasing. You ever wonder what that looks like? I have. I hope you've wrestled with that and go, Lord, what does it look like to pray without ceasing? Here's what I think it means. I I think it just means in constant awareness of God, and you're constantly having dialogue back and forth with God. This is a great place to start. Every single meal you're in conversation, you stop and make a point of having a conversation with God in your day. Every single night as you lay your head on the pillow, you're having a conversation with God. Every one of you eats every day. Every one of you sleeps every night or day if you work the night shift, right? So this is, a, this is a repetition. This is just building into the fabric of your life. Here's another great way to inform what to pray about at meals and what to pray about as you're counting your blessings at night is to do this. Take your Bible and open it. The Bible is like a journal of the good things of God. When you read about God's provision and protection and, and miracles in a story in the Old Testament... You're reminded in your own life, God, you've provided, in essence, my own kind of exodus away from this lifestyle, away from these people that were battering me, away from whatever. And you have led me, not quite across a Red Sea. I didn't quite have a Red Sea experience, but man, it was close. And you've rescued me. You've put my feet on dry ground and solid ground. And I can't think, I can't stop talking about that. I can't thank you enough for that. Opening up your Bible is a great way to learn how to count your blessings. Ephesians 1.3 says this. Just listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Remember that from our series in Ephesians? I hope that rolls around in your mind. I hope that comes off of your tongue in prayer back to God. Thank you, God, for blessing us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, look at how many times in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ is said. We have all of these things in Christ. Go do some research about what do we have in Christ? What do we possess because we're now in Christ? 
It's interesting because many Christians, I struggle with this too, but many Christians pray or long for that which they already possess. Let me give you a couple of quick examples. God, would you give me more love? I don't think that's a bad prayer. I think that's a good prayer. But let me read a verse that might indicate some nuance to this. Romans 5, 5. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Ever pray for peace? John 14, 27. Jesus said this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. It's a gift. You already have it. Happiness and joy. John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. What things? Read the Gospel. Read the words of Jesus Christ. Find out what things. We pray for love. We pray for peace. We pray for happiness and joy. We pray for strength. What does Philippians 4.13 say? I can do what? All things through Christ who gives me strength. So I don't think it's bad to pray for these things, but I think sometimes we long for that which we already possess. Catch this. And we get mad at God for things He never promised to give us. In fact, He gave strong indication that that's not the way of a disciple anyways. I don't know how many times you've prayed this, but I thought about some of my early Christian prayers. Here they were. Where is she, God? I want a great wife. Where is she? God, I've been doing this or that. I've been walking the line. I've been doing this. Where's the kickback? Now, this is terrible theology. I'm just letting you into my heart. Where's, where's the health? Where's some comfort in this life? I mean, I had small dreams. I just wanted a car that would run smoothly for one week. That's it. And I was like, and I would have kind of a whiny voice to my prayer. Come on, God. You ever pray, come on, God, prayers? I love the book of Psalms because the book of Psalms invites us to be really blunt and real with God and just pour it out. You know what I also hope? I hope you can look back on prayers from two years ago and realize, wow, that was a little bit more immature prayer. That was not an accurate picture. God, thank you for not just smiting me on the spot for, for saying that or for praying bad theology prayers and you realize later on, wow, God, you're so much more good and so much more gracious than my come on God prayers back there. I had expectations for things you never promised to give me. In fact, you told me the way is going to be narrow and difficult. You told me to take up my cross and follow you, and I wondered why I was getting splinters. And the very things that I had in abundance, I missed. Your presence, you being with me, I was robbed of that because I was focused on all that I didn't have. What if James 1.17 were be, to be turned into a prayer? It might sound something like this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from you, Father of lights. And that is never going to change. And you are never going to change. Is that something you can depend on? Is that something you can rest in? Man, what a great prayer that is. His name's not really Brandon, but I'll pick the name Brandon. Brandon was just uh, another apathetic t uh, teenager that I knew at one point. And his choice of how to be comfortable, of how to kind of get along in life, was to put on an air of apathy. I don't care. You want to talk to me about my future, my grades, the, how I present myself, spiritual things, whatever. I don't care. Not an in-your-face, I don't care, but kind of a silent, quiet, I don't care. 
And it was a role he kind of played, and it was a role he was getting really, really good at. And then one night he heard the gospel. He heard that there was this, this invitation to change. There was an invitation to a brand new life. And he decided to do something that was completely out of character for the apathetic, I don't care role that he'd become so incredibly good at. He took a step forward of saying, I want to talk with someone about this and find out if this is true. Now, this was years and years ago, but I'll never forget sitting there and having a dialogue with this kid and watching, like you peel a banana and you just see what's underneath, watching the Lord just peel this kid in front of me. This kid went on to make a profession of faith. This kid went on to wander. This kid went on to come back. This kid went on to get baptized. And this kid went on to be a disciple of Jesus who's still following him today. He didn't care. He just, he just built this wall. You know, what, you know what he dared to do? He dared to believe that a brand new start was possible. And he took a giant risk in his embodiment of who he had put himself out to be. He took a giant risk to take a step forward and say, I'm going to see if this is real. Could this possibly be true? I don't want to restart. You know what a restart does? All that does is that it provides me a new, brand new way to screw something up. We don't need a restart in our life. January 1st, that's a restart, right? We hit restart, and pretty soon our, our computer is infected again, and it's running slow. We're like, what happened? Things aren't working the way you're supposed to go. Jesus comes and says, I'm going to give you a brand new life. The greatest of all good gifts is found in James 1.18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. We're about to celebrate communion, and communion is an ongoing celebration. I can't stop talking about this event thing that we get to participate in, where we get to tangibly hold some elements and think on the sacrifice that made it possible for us to have this brand new life. We talked about a birth last week that was pretty dark and morbid, desire, sin, and death, and now there's another birth, born of the Spirit by the will of the Father through Jesus Christ, and we have new life in that. And that's what we celebrate. That's the greatest gift of all, of course. Who's responsible for it? It's He that brought us to life. It's His will that brings us to salvation. What's the means? He uses the true word. We should never be ashamed of just preaching the simple gospel because the simple gospel is the power of salvation to all who believe. So just keep speaking the true words of Jesus. Keep speaking the true words of the gospel message. That's the means by which God brings people to life. It also is the means by way which he sustains new life in us, grows new life in us. And, of course, the result is this brand new life we've been talking about. When it talks about first fruits, by the way, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. First fruits is a little bit of a, of a code for God's special possession. It's this set-apart portion. Do, do all things belong to God? Yes, but the first fruits are my special possession. They're holy, they're set apart. We just sang a line where it says, Father of lights, he delights in his children. I 
pray this morning God would rid you of doubt that that is true, that he actually delights in you, finds great joy in blessing you with good gifts. Think about Lazarus. Lazarus was the one that was called forth by a spoken word of Jesus. He's a picture to me of James 1.18. He was dead, really dead. I mean, it's kind of a binary thing, right? It's black or white on that. But he's dead. He has no ability to raise himself. The word of truth is spoken. Lazarus, come forth. And he was born forth. He was spoken forth. And in essence, he's a picture. He's, he's the first fruits of all creation, of all the others of us who are, who are going to be resurrected to, to newness of life. What a cool picture of, of James 1.18. Now, I'm going to take some time in our service right now and turn it over to you guys. Jim's going to lead us. In, in the month of May, we've been making a concerted effort to spend extra time just praying, learning what it means to pray more. In our community groups, we've been doing that. And right now, you're going to have an opportunity to testify about the goodness of God in your life. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral or to a party where you're able to stand up and speak something good about someone, and you didn't. You could have stood up, but for fear of your own heartbeat racing too fast or whatever else, you chose not to. And afterwards, you thought, I really should have stood up and said something about my teacher that I respected so much, about that neighbor and, and what I appreciated about him. We're going to have an opportunity right now in a public way to testify. It's a great psalm that says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We just sang a song, I will not be silent. So we're going to have an opportunity right now. Jim, why don't you come on up? Uh, I'm going to encourage you to do a couple of things as you prep for this. Here are some ways to think about God's goodness and blessing in your life, okay? One is this. Open up your Bible. We just prayed this as a, uh, as a men's group in our, in our CG, and we had our Bibles open. And some of our prayers of blessing and thinking on the goodness of God just came straight from the Bible text. I would say also open up your address book. You might just be looking through people in your life and thinking about that. You might want to open up your calendar and just think about your life, reviewing the last month of your life, the last week of your life, what's ahead, and thinking about the goodness, the gifts that God's given you. Maybe you need to just open up your eyes and literally feel yourself open them and then close them and open them again and look around and close them. My daughter and I were feeling each other's heartbeat this morning. And she was like, wow, Daddy, you know, we can feel each other's heartbeat. I'm like, isn't that so cool? I mean, things are going on all the time. Good gifts of God. And now's your opportunity to share with her a little bit. Well, we've just been talking about gifts and the goodness of God. And uh, quite on purpose, it's culminating with communion and just being able to focus now uh, in this season. Um. We have been, as a family, in a season of just, I feel like we've been receiving so much from many of you here in the body, from our own, uh, our biological family and, and other places. And I don't know if you like to write thank you cards, but I'm a thank you card writer, and I like to acknowledge when people do things for us. I don't know if you've ever been in a place in your life where so many people are blessing you with different things that you just, you couldn't possibly write enough thank you cards. And um, I bring that because of this. When you think of Christ... And you were to try to start writing thank you cards back to Christ and back to what Jesus means to you, you'd run out of cards. Your whole life would just be spent writing cards and 
shopping for more cards to write more, and you couldn't even keep track of it. It would actually overwhelm you to try and do that. And, and I just want to encourage you, church family, find out all that you have in Christ, this relationship that we have. Right now, we're going to celebrate it, and the way we're going to do it this morning is a little bit different maybe than we sometimes do, but in the very back and in the front are two tables, and uh, what I would invite you to do, this is for those of you who profess faith in Christ, is to come up. You can celebrate communion right here at the table if you'd like. You can take a little bit of the cracker and the juice and go back to your seat. But over the next couple of songs that we're going to sing that will just draw our attention and point our attention to some of what we have in Christ, um, while those songs are going on, feel free to get up and, and come and, and celebrate uh, the Lord's table. Let me read from you from Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, just listen to um, the, uh, the, the corporate blessing that God is and the individual gifts and blessing that God is to us. It says this, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Jesus, we celebrate right now. The fact that you rose means that you also were in the earth. You died in our place. And we cannot stop celebrating that. We can't get over that. God, that our lives would just be a constant reflection of our gratitude towards you and our joy that we get to walk in being in relationship with you. We love you and we celebrate the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the new life that's been made possible because you gave us yourself. Amen.